I invite you to take your Bible and open to the Gospel of Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. Now our story is about a blind man. Blindness, the term blindness is somewhat elastic uh, because it's used to describe a wide range, a wide variety of visual limitations, everything from difficulty seeing right to total absolute blindness, which the experts also call NLP, no light perception. The World Health Organization estimates that approximately 1.3 billion people in the world today suffer from some form of visual impairment, but that only 40 million people in the world are actually NLP, totally blind. That's approximately one half of a percent of all the world's population. Now, the blind man in our story today, whose name, according to the Gospel of Mark, was Bartimaeus, blind Bartimaeus, he was a man that was no doubt totally blind. He'd be NLP. He had to be brought to Jesus. He couldn't make his own way. And Jesus healed him. And so today, we're going to learn about a few other types of blindness as we study this subject. Open mine eyes, Lord. Let's bow for prayer and ask God to open our eyes. Heavenly Father, we humble ourselves once more before your mighty throne, your majestic presence. Our Heavenly Father, we, we humbly ask you in Jesus' name to make the word of God very effective in our hearts today. Lord, I pray that the weaknesses of my own flesh and my fumblings and faultings, Lord, would not hold back anything thing that you desire to do in anyone's hearts today. Lord, we ask that you'd sanctify our auditorium, yea, our whole church. Put angels watch guard around us if need be. Please don't let the devil distract anyone's heart or mind today from the word of God and help us to give you the glory due your name. So Lord, as we continue, please answer our prayer to open our eyes. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Well, um, blindness does not have to hold anyone back. There are many instances of blind people that have gone and done some amazing things in life. Ralph Teeter, T-E-E-T-O-R, Teeter, is a, is a man you may never have heard of but probably most all of you are aware of what he invented. Now, Ralph Teeter was born in 1890, and at five years of age, he was in an accident that left him completely, totally NLP, totally blind. But that didn't stop Ralph. He uh, loved to tinker, and he loved mechanical things. And so he grew up a bit and entered into uh, mechanical engineering school, and he actually graduated from the University of Pennsylvania with a degree in mechanical engineering. He went to work for the motor companies. He loved automobiles and engines and mechanical things. And even though he was totally blind, he could feel his way around the pistons and the piston rings and the engines and things. In 1935, Ralph was going for an automobile ride with his lawyer friend. Obviously, the lawyer was driving. And Ralph was getting rather upset. Not by what the lawyer was saying, but by what the lawyer was doing. 
Every time the lawyer would be speaking to Ralph, uh, he would speed up his car. I'm sorry, no, he would slow down his car whenever he was speaking to Ralph. Whenever he was listening to Ralph, he would speed up his car. And this speeding and slowing caused a rocking motion in the car that Ralph was very sensitive to. And that made him upset. And so when he got home, he started scratching his head and tinkering. And he wanted to come up with an idea that would solve that problem. And it took him ten years. But after ten years of tinkering, Ralph Teeter, the blind mechanical engineer, invented the automotive cruise control. That's something invented by a blind man. Hey, uh, Pastor Hoxie in Chilliwack, who is not blind, told me that years ago he was driving his car behind a van and on the back of the van as he got up, it said, this van is being driven by a blind man. And that caused Pastor Hoxie to be somewhat nervous. And so his first opportunity, he pulled out, he got up beside the van, he looked over and he learned it was an advertisement for a blind window blind company. And so the man driving the van, this van is being driven by a blind man. It was an advertisement for window blinds. But blindness won't stop a man from living a successful life as a teacher or a lawyer or a pastor or a counselor or even a medical doctor. How about that? Blindness does not stop a man from being a good husband or a good father or a good neighbor or a good employee, or a good employer. Blindness cannot stop a man from being born again. And blindness won't stop a man either from dying and going to hell. It's important that blind people learn about Jesus and how to come to Him. Now the Gospels record that when Jesus was on earth, He healed at least three blind men. Bartimaeus being one of them. We won't turn there, but over in John chapter 9, we read of another blind man whom Jesus healed. And um, this man was completely blind, and now he started seeing again for the first time in his life. And he was over 40 years of age. Um, The man was then questioned by the Pharisees. What happened to you? Who healed you? What's his name? I don't know what his name is. What did he do? Well, he healed me. And if you read the chapter, chapter 9, this blind man, he answered those Pharisees with a tremendous speech. But he said something very interesting. He said in chapter 9, verse 32, Since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? Isn't that interesting? Did you know that's still true today? Recently, in the last few years, scientists and medical researchers are saying that surgical eye transplants will one day completely cure people that are totally blind. Now that may be true, but it hasn't happened yet. And it's still some years away, according to what I've read. Now, on the heels of that, Benny Hinn and other phony false prophets and false faith healers, they claim to heal blindness but they are 100% false because these people that they claim to heal of their blindness, they're not NLP. They're not totally blind. They all have limited vision already. And so when he gets them to stand up 
And he's got his microphone and he says, how many fingers am I holding up? And he makes sure that the spotlight's there. And they say, two. And they say, praise God, he's been healed. And then they take an offering. You know, it makes me upset what's happening in the name of the Lord. But there's other types of blindness as well. There are people that are colorblind. Color blindness means that they have difficulty distinguishing between certain colors. For example, red and green. They have difficulty telling if that is red or if that is green or what is that. And that would be fun at an intersection at a stoplight, wouldn't it? But it's a thing they put uh, the red ones on the top and the green ones on the bottom. There's other types of blindness as well. There's what we call night blindness in which uh, people who drive cars, they have a lot of difficulty seeing at night. And so for that reason, they, don't, they tend not to drive their cars at night. Night blindness, it's called. But then there are other ways of being blind, more than just physical blindness. And I want to give you two or three of those today. So number one is opportunity blindness. Opportunity blindness. And this is an unfortunate type of blindness. Now in Luke chapter 18, if you go back a few verses to verse 18, Luke 18 and 18, follow with me, it says, And a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? None is good, save one that is God. I think that Jesus was testing this young man, testing his faith and his belief. Verse 20, Jesus continues his answer. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother. And he, that's the the rich young man, he said, all these have I kept from my youth up. Now when Jesus heard these things, he said unto him, yet lackest thou one thing. Sell all that thou hast and distribute unto the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. And when he heard this, he was very sorrowful, for he was very rich. Interesting. Let's stop there. The moment here. Someone once said that we don't need to pray for more miracles. We just need to be more sensitive to the opportunities that God has already put before us. The rich young ruler here who came to to Jesus had the opportunity to be with Jesus. That was his opportunity was to, to be with Jesus and to follow him. And yet he was opportunity blind and he never saw the value of following Jesus. Now, in this same chapter at the end, Bartimaeus, who was physically blind, was not opportunity blind. In fact, when he heard that Jesus of Nazareth was coming through, he cried out, Thou son of David, have mercy upon me. And finally, when they couldn't shut him up, and Jesus said, Bring him here, he came, and what what would you have me to do for you, Lord, that I might receive my sight? There's an opportunity. If Bartimaeus had just listened to the crowd and muffled his voice and shut up or you know, slunk back into the shadows, he would be blind still. But even though he was physically blind, he was not opportunity blind, was he? No, not in the least. There's a common proverb, opportunity knocks once. You ever heard that? It's common. For example, you're in your car and you're driving and you find yourself behind a very slow driver. Now, how many have experienced that? Raise your hand. 
All right. How many are too shy to put up their hand? Let me see. That's just what I thought. And so you're driving in your car and you're behind a very pokey puppy. And you're thinking, come on, come on. You know, let's get the lead out. Let's go. We're not even doing the speed limit. Come on. And so you're looking for an opportunity where you might be able to legally, safely pass this slowpoke. And while you're waiting, you get to daydreaming. And you're thinking about where you're going to go, or you're thinking about what you're going to do. And then all of a sudden you realize you missed your opportunity to pass the pokey puppy. You're still back there. You're stuck. For a moment, you went opportunity blind. You were blinded to the opportunity that you had. And you didn't see it because you were preoccupied with other things. On January the 1st, 1962, the DECA record company, that's D-E-C-C-A, the DECA record company in London, England, was auditioning two up-and-coming young English rock bands. One was called Brian Poole and the Tremolos, and the second was a group from Liverpool called the Beatles. But DECA was a bit opportunity blind. And after a few weeks, they rejected the Beatles, choosing instead Brian uh, and the Tremolos And this mistake cost DECA hundreds of millions of dollars as the Beatles went on to become a worldwide sensation. In 2006, the internet search company called Yahoo sat down at the bargaining table with Facebook and they were ready to buy Facebook for $1 billion. That's 13 years ago. But at the last minute, they got cold feet and they backed out of the deal. Well, the years went on. Today, Facebook is worth $140 billion, while Yahoo is worth $30 billion. Interesting. They went opportunity blind, didn't they? Isn't that something? In life, you will have many opportunities to be part of something new or something exciting. The question is, what will you do? Will you see them as valuable in life or will you be opportunity blind? Back in public school, when I was a boy, I had the opportunity to learn the piano for free. Today, you pay $25, $30 and more for piano lessons. That's for a half hour session. But I had the opportunity for free piano lessons and to learn the piano, but I never saw the value of the piano. I was opportunity blind. In Bible college, I had the opportunity to go visit Israel. But I never saw the value of going there. Imagine that. I regret missing these and other opportunities in my life. Beloved, you have the opportunity to be part of an exciting church. And serving the Lord in ministries such as soul winning and bus ministry and nursery and choir and ushering, and media ministry, and others. The question is, what will you do with this opportunity? Are you a bit opportunity blind? You have the opportunity to be part of an exciting Bible college, and going further for the Lord, with just one year under your belt, going further for the Lord spiritually than you ever could without it. What will you do with this opportunity? Now, perhaps this was the case with two sisters named Mary and Martha. 
They're in the book of Luke, if you go back to chapter 10 with me. Just a few pages to chapter 10, we've got this this, uh, set of sisters. They had the privilege of having Jesus in their home. And we'll pick up the story here in verse 38. Luke 10 and 38. Now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. She was no doubt the older of the two, Mary and Martha. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. That's what Mary did. Verse 40, but Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care? That my sister hath left me to serve alone. Bid her therefore that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. But but one thing is needful. Underline this in your Bible. Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Apparently, Martha chose cooking school, while Mary chose Bible school. Interesting thought. Now the second type of blindness, we're going to call family blindness. Family blindness. Now if opportunity blindness is an unfortunate type of blindness, then I suggest to you that family blindness is a very sad type of blindness. We're going to go to chapter 15 of Luke for this one. Luke chapter 15. We're going to begin in verse 11. Follow along as I read. And he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And if you're wondering what the riotous living could have been, if you look at verse 30, the words of the elder son go halfway down the verse, which hath devoured thy living with harlots. So if you go back to verse 13, I suggest that's the riotous living. No doubt, wine, women, and song. Verse 14, And when he had spent all, and by the way, that's what people do, when all they want is wine, women, and song. A man in the UK was the winner of, I think it was over a hundred million dollars. And within just three or four years, he had it all spent. He went back to being a garbage man. He spent it all on wine, women, and prostitutes. Drugs, a lot of drugs in there. Well, that sounds like the prodigal son here. So verse 14, when he spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And when he would fain have filled his belly, that that word fain means to have a great desire for. I mean, he was so hungry that the husks, that the pigs were eating, were beginning to look good to him. And when he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat. Remember, he's a Jewish boy. 
Jews and the pigs don't get along together. You know that. And no man gave unto him. Verse 17. And when he came to himself, finally, folks, the light bulb come on. He said, how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. There's a lot of good preaching in this story. And many preachers far better than I have brought out tremendous truths about this story of the prodigal son. There's truths on the son, about the father, about the elder brothers, even about the servants, I suppose. There's many good stories to be, to be told and, and lessons to be learned. But all I want to consider is this. Be it ever so humble, there's no place like home. You know, if God has blessed you with a family, you've got a treasure. You do, you do, as we, as we are here in God's house today. Men and women have been blessed by God to have a family. And yet, so many are blind to the treasure that they behold. They can't see the gold for glittering. It's right there in front of them. And they can't see the treasure that God's given them. Called a family. This one accuses that one. That one accuses this one. Families are split apart and only the devil wins. Someone once said that home is where you're treated the best and you complain the most. If you have a family, I suggest you pray for them every day. I suggest you cherish them and try to be a blessing to them every day. Don't be family blind. Well, there's a third type of blindness that we want to consider. And this one is perhaps the very worst type of blindness. Worse than even physical blindness. And it's called spiritual blindness. And for this, we'll turn a page to chapter 16 of Luke. And in chapter 16 and verse 19, we pick up the story. It says, there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. Pause for a moment. These weren't the puppies found in the palace. These were the street dogs whose rib cages were sticking out and were looking for things to eat. These were nasty little beasties. And these came and were licking his sores. Not to comfort him, but they were hungry. I just read in the news that a little old lady whom outside of her home you would never suspect, you would never suspect she was an unbelievable hoarder she couldn't get rid of anything. She dressed always prim and proper. She went to the hairstylist once a week and had her hair done. She was a member at church. She was prim and proper. And she was about 80, 81. And her niece couldn't get her on the phone. So she went over to her home. And she walked in the doors and she could not believe the mess. The stench. The boxes. The books. The trinkets. The cobwebs. This sweet little old lady lived in an incredible mess. And the niece went around looking and she saw decorations from Halloween. Some kind of a thing in a costume. And she said, 
what that Halloween is, has gone months and months ago. What's that doing here? And she's looking for her aunt and she can't find her aunt. So she calls up the police and the police come over and they couldn't believe the mess and the stench. And she said, where's my aunt? And they said, you're looking at her. She's right there. She was what she thought was the Halloween mannequin. That was her aunt. What was left of her sitting in a chair, her dog and the rats had eaten her. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. The dogs here in the story were not friendly little lap dogs. They were looking for something to eat. And they were already licking away on, on Lazarus. And so, verse 21, um, verse 22, And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels. Ooh, that sounds good. Into Abraham's bosom. That sounds even better. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Folks, listen to me. People today that are in hell are in serious, serious trouble, and there's no getting out of it. Hell is a very real place. Hell is why God has given us the great commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Hell is what sent Jesus, brought him from heaven's glory and brought him to earth to die on the cross to make a way for men and women to be saved and for blind men and women to be saved and old men and women to be saved and young men and women to be saved and boys and girls to be saved. And God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. For hell is a very nasty place, and it's forever and ever. And people experience the feelings of thirst, parched tongues, flame of fire. I'm holding in my hand here a simple glass of water. If I were to walk through hell, the corridors of hell, that glass of water is worth to them more than all the gold and silver in the world today. All of the world's $275 trillion worth of wealth. I personally think it's more. That glass of water is worth more than all the world's wealth to people in hell. If someone in hell had that glass of water, one drop on the end of their, their finger would quench their thirst for a while. How many drops do you think are in that glass? Oh my, they would be wealthy, wealthy in hell, but they're not. They don't even have a glass of water in hell. Hell is a very real place, folks. Let's never forget that. And so, verse 25, Abraham answered, he said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, that's a plural you, by the way, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, 
I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him, meaning Lazarus, to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come unto this place of torment. So the rich man now changed his mind. Now he wasn't so blind, was he? Now he could see. And he wanted Lazarus to go back and witness and soul win to his five brothers. Abraham answered, Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, meaning that they have the, the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures. Let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, meaning, No, my brothers, they don't read the Bible. My brothers, they don't read gospel tracts. My brothers, they don't listen to gospel radio or gospel music. My brothers don't go to church. My brothers don't listen to preaching. Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. That was his thinking. That if Lazarus came back from the grave and went and knocked on the door, they'd fall on their knees and get saved. Doesn't that sound like some of the charismatics today and some of the prosperity gospel preachers and so on today? Verse 31, And he said unto them, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, in other words, if they, if they don't read the Bible, if they don't listen to the Scriptures, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Now that's what God recorded for us about that line of thinking. It's not bringing people back out of hell that's going to get others saved. That's not it. People that you watch their testimony on YouTube, how they say they died and went to hell and came back. Don't you believe it? That is false. God's way is not to put people in hell and bring them back. God's way is to work through the Scriptures and through the the people that are living, that are saved. If you're here and you're living, it looks like you're living... Are you saved? It looks like you're saved. That's us. God works through us. Now there's an opportunity right there. This is a sad story. I think one of the worst, one of the saddest stories in the Bible is this rich man in hell. And by the way, he's not rich anymore. He's as poor as poor could be. You know, in the Gospel of Luke, there appears to be a lot of blind people, don't you think? Not just Bartimaeus, but a lot of people that are blind in some way. I remember the reading about the people of Noah's day. And for 120 years, as Noah was building the ark, he was also a preacher of righteousness. And he was telling the people, flee from the judgment to come. It's coming. Water will fall from the sky. It's going to rain. And it's going to flood the earth. And he would preach to them, maybe day after day, maybe week by week, I don't know. But all those 120 years, Noah preached to the people. And the people were so preoccupied with their lives, buying and selling and marrying and giving in marriage. They were so preoccupied that they were absolutely spiritually blind. No light perception, NLP. No spiritual perception, NSP. No spiritual perception. Some people claim to have ESP. Forget that. Go for the spiritual perception. And of course, they all, they all perished. Not one of them, except Noah, his wife, his three sons and their wives. Eight souls. They're the only ones that heeded the warning and they're the only ones that got on the ark. There were two thieves that died alongside of Jesus. Each on a cross of his own. 
And both those thieves had opportunity to repent and be in the kingdom of God and be in paradise with Jesus. But only one thief repented and ended up in paradise while the other thief died and went to hell. In Numbers chapter 22, we read about a man named Balaam. Balaam was hired by a king named Balak. He was the king of Moab. And Balak knew that Balaam had the power to bring curses upon people. And so he sent a delegation and persuaded him finally to come for a large sum of money to curse the Israelites so that Balak could defeat them in battle. As they went on their journey toward Balak, Balaam is riding his donkey and the donkey's eyes were opened and the donkey could see standing in front of them an angel with a flaming sword ready to cut them down. And so naturally the donkey swerved out of the way, which made Balaam very angry. He couldn't see the, the angel. He, all he was aware of is what his crazy donkey was doing. And he beat the thing with a stick and get it back on the, the road again, the pathway. And this happened some three times until finally God opened Balaam's eyes. And then Balaam could see what his donkey could see all along. The angel with the flaming sword. And even though they had a, an exchange of words, Balaam still went on his way like an idiot. You see, what Balaam really saw more than anything else, and the New Testament bears this out, what Balaam saw more than anything else was the money that Balak promised him. The great wealth and the riches. They say that people see what they want to see. And that's what makes some advertising so deceptive and so sneaky. Not all advertising is sneaky, but some of it is. Con men. What they do is they get you to see what you want to see. And then you'll open your wallet, your checkbook, your purse, and you'll give away lots of money. I read an article about a week ago, How to Lose Tens of Thousands of Dollars on the Internet. That was the name of the article. There are guys on the, art, on the internet, they put out YouTubes and they promise you great wealth. You could be making uh, tens of thousands of dollars every month by buying products and selling them on Amazon. And actually, some people have actually made money doing that. But 98% of the people end up shelling out thousands of dollars. And one couple shelled out $40,000. They absolutely went broke trying the best they could to follow the advice of these two guys, which, by the way, have since split up and they each got their own channel going. People often see just what they want to see. Balaam, all he wanted to see was the money. That's why he kept going. Sad, isn't it? Spiritual blindness. Money madness causes spiritual blindness. You mind if I say that again? Money madness causes spiritual blindness. And it's amazing how many people, lost people and saved people, go spiritually blind when they develop this money sickness malady. Money madness. People with lotto fever are spiritually blind. You might disagree with that, but I think it's the absolute truth. People with lotto fever there are so many articles written by the world by unsaved people on how nasty the lotto business is. 
There are so many common sense articles out there. People throwing away thousands of good hard-earned dollars every year on lottos. I read where the, uh, um, the computer generated, what do they call it, a quick pick or something, where, the, where you let the computer pick a number for you. They proved that that was government rigged a few years ago. And in one case, the computer issued 200 million exact same numbers to people out there. How, how random could that be? I think you got better chance of believing in evolution than that. People with lotto fever are spiritually blind. Millions of people the world over have money madness. And it makes them blind to spiritual things. The Bible says they that will be rich. Remember, they pierce themselves through. Boy, they're going to have trouble, trouble in the flesh. They pierce themselves through with many sorrows. They that will be rich. They want it, they want it, they want it. Now having a little money is fine, but why in the world would people want an excess of money? Buckets, barrels, dump trucks of money. Why? Of course, it's to buy things. To quit their job and go on the next 40-year vacation. To live the good life. To go places. Now some of them work hard to get it. And sometimes they get it. But just like Balaam, it comes at a cost. And the cost is your spiritual eyeballs. You go spiritually blind. It's almost like selling your soul to Satan. Many a good Christian has been ruined by money madness as well. You say, how do you know? Well, the Apostle Peter wrote to Christians when he wrote in 2 Peter chapter 1 that we Christians are to give all diligence, adding to our faith, virtue, knowledge, temperance, and these other good things. But then Peter said in verse 9, He that lacketh these things, now he's talking about Christians, a Christian that lacks thing, these things of virtue and knowledge and temperance. He that lacketh these things is blind. Those are his exact words. He's blind and cannot see afar off. And hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. We're talking about Christian people. And if you cannot see afar off, it means it's so blurry for you that you're nearsighted. And nearsighted people without their glasses can fall into all kinds of misery. And yes, it seems Christians can go blind or at least partially blind. I'd like you to look at Luke 24 and you'll see it for yourself. These are two men that were born again. They were saved. And yet, they were spiritually blind. Now they were not into sin. But I just want you to see their blindness. That's all I want you to see. In Luke chapter 24, we have in verse 13, these two disciples went the same day to a village called Emmaus. Verse 14, they talked together. Verse 15, Jesus drew near. Verse 16 is what I want you to see. But their eyes were holden that they should not know him. Jesus came and joined them and walked with them and talked with them but they didn't recognize it was Jesus. They were spiritually blind temporarily. And it was only when he went in and sat with them at meat to have dinner, we find that uh, he took bread and blessed it in verse 30 and verse 31. Watch, their eyes were, what's that word? Say it. 
opened. Their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished out of their sight. There are believers whose eyes were closed and then opened. What a story for us. What an illustration. Because you're saved and you're, you're here today doesn't mean that your eyes are totally open. You can have spiritual blindness too. Did you know that in Psalm 119 verse 18, it says, Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Did you know that every one of us, to some degree, have spiritual blindness? Don't sit here and think that you've got 100% 20-20 vision spiritually, because I'm telling you, you don't. There are things in the Bible you do not see. There are workings and operations of God in your life that you do not understand, you do not see. It's cloudy at best. Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Now listen, I want to say a word here. As we get older, our physical vision may start to dim. That's a normal, natural phenomena. Am I right or am I wrong? The older we get, our eyeballs start to play tricks on us sometimes. Things that used to be crystal clear in our 20s. You know, and you don't have to wait till you're 90 before you need glasses or corrective vision. But as we get older, should our spiritual vision also dim? It's natural for our, our regular eyeballs to kind of go dim. and Like, I need glasses to be able to... You, you folks, you don't know this, but you're blurry. I don't know if you looked in the mirror this morning, but you're, every one of you, you're all blurry. I don't know if you're aware of that, but I thought it my duty to tell you. Brother, you're blurry. I just want you to know that, okay? It's normal, isn't it, for our natural eyes to go dim. But what about our spiritual eyes? The older we get, should our spiritual eyes go dim? Yes or no, what do you think? I don't think they should go dim. If anything, they should what? They should get brighter. So there's a good question to ask yourself today. How is your spiritual eyesight. Do you see more today than you ever have before? More of the will of God? Do you see more of the harvest fields? Look over there on the wall of that map of our little Jerusalem. It's called Surrey with its 600,000 souls. How many are on their way to heaven? How many are on their way to hell? Why do you think God put our church here? Why do you think He started it 20 years ago and brought us together under one roof? Just so that we could drink coffee and eat donuts and have a good time of fellowship. And listen, I like coffee and donuts too. And I love fellowship. But is that why God built the church? Is that why He saved us and brought us together? Where's our vision of the harvest fields? So, if you ask me, I don't think it's normal for our spiritual eyes to go dim over the years. Our spiritual eyes ought to get Bigger and brighter. And if your spiritual eyes are not bigger and brighter today, you need to ask, what is the matter? What is wrong? Uh, as Jacob neared his death, his physical eyes went very dim. He could hardly see, if, if any. 
But his spiritual eyes were brighter than ever before. And he could see the future for his sons. And he gave future prophecy for the twelve sons, the tribes of Israel. 